This morning, I'm continuing a series that I started last week, Living the Gospel, Christ in Me. Some of the things I've been thinking a lot about is one of the things I really thought about is that, you know, I think today the church in general has lost its identity. Think about that. I think that today that the church itself in many fashions, in many ways, has begun to to lose its purpose and lose its identity and how we ought to live. Now, let me clarify that. I'm not talking about a building that we meet in. If you look throughout the church history, buildings change over time. I'm not talking about programs. You look throughout history, programs change. I'm not even talking about the kind of music. Boy, I'm, boy, somebody right now is just, I mean, you know, whether it's traditional, whether it's hymns or it's not, I mean, we fight over all kinds of things because we begin to lose our identity. Are these things important? Yes, they're important. But what is our identity? We as believers need to be true to our identity of who we are in Christ Jesus. We live in a time where people are pursuing their identity. They want to be true to themselves. They want to pursue what they find. Personal truth is, 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 is unreal right now. What everybody ever thinks about what is right for them or what is true for them becomes the, the, the absolute in their lives. And I, when I look at the scriptures and when I read the scriptures, I believe that that leads to a trail of slavery, a bondage. It's not a life that is free that we would think that it is. When we think that we're free to do whatever we want, is that really what freedom is? Or do we find that within our members of our body, there is a thing that's called iniquity that, that begins to enslave us and let us lose sight of the purpose in which God has created us? Last week I submitted to you that when Adam was created and he was laying there and God formed him out of the dust of the ground, it wasn't some mystical power that came up through Adam and he got up and began to live life. He was formless. He was laying there without life. And it wasn't until God breathed life into him that life began. And the life of humanity. And that if we understand what, if we're going to understand why we exist, why we live, and who we are, it has to begin with the Creator. And our Creator has much to say about who we are and who we are in Christ Jesus. And so when I talk about living the gospel, I've often heard that, you know, and I said this last week, the idea of gospel living, it's kind of this missional life, and we reach our neighbors and we reach our communities. But I really believe that even before that, we need to learn to live the gospel. That we need to understand the gospel. What does it mean that Christ is in me? What does that mean in my life? And how do I live my life? You see, when we understand that we are in Christ, it reorients our whole life. It redirects our whole life. Our priorities begin to change. Our ways of looking and dealing with people begin to change. Our ways of thinking begin to change. When we realize that in Christ, in him alone, is our identity. And here's another thing, by the way. This identity isn't attained by what you do. It's an identity that you receive by faith in Christ Jesus. And we, we misunderstand that so often that we begin to try to work to attain certain aspects of spirituality when in reality, these things have been given to us. And this morning, I'm going to be looking in the, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 3 through 14. In the, in the Greek, it is one sentence. From beginning to end, it's one sentence. Can you, you just got to love that, right? 
And as this passage is so rich, it shows us the work of God before time, the work of God in time, and the work of God after time. It has everything to do with who you are in Jesus Christ. It has to do with who we are already, what God has already done for us. That as we stand in Christ, that we already stand in a righteousness that is not our own. That we already stand in a blessedness that is not our own, that has been given to us. It's been, it's been poured out upon us. And I think many times we continue to search in this world, trying to find the meaning of life and the purpose of life and the identity of life when we forget that as believers in Christ, it's already been given to us. It's already ours. We don't have to do anything to attain it. We simply by faith received it. And we rest in that. So when the world is crumbling around us, we don't crumble. Why? Because of an almighty God. God is my refuge. God is my strength. My very present help in the time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Why? Because of an almighty God who's already done these things for us. So we find ourselves resting in him. One of the problems with dealing with this passage and dealing with the whole passage in 30 minutes is that I'm gonna skip over a lot of little great rich nuggets. I could literally spin a sermon or two probably on each one of these verses and there's 11 of them, so can you imagine? So there's gonna be times where as I go through this, you're gonna come up to me afterwards and you go, hey Lingle, man you missed out on this point where you should have done, I know that, okay? I'm just telling you already, I'm gonna do that so when you hear that, just know that I did that, okay? So just, just relax, chill or whatever, okay? Call me up and let's have a conversation. But just understand in these 30 minutes, we're not going to be able to do that. Here's my point today. The emphasis of today is our true identity in Christ. What has God done in Christ, okay, for us? And that we rest in him. I want us to begin to look at verse 3. Ephesians chapter one, if you don't have your Bible out, get your Bible out. If you don't have, your, if you have a Bible, pull your phone out, pull up a Bible app. You need to look at this passage with your own eyes, okay? This isn't Greg Lingle, this is God's word. This is God speaking to us through his Holy Spirit written through the, through the hands of man that we might understand the truth that God wants us to know. In verse three of chapter one, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Can you imagine how long I could spend on that one verse? But let me take a few minutes. The word blessed has the idea of eulogy. It's where you speak well of, that we're speaking of God's goodness. But then it says that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Does that mean God's just speaking well of us? No, it's the idea that God has done good towards us. It's taken that extra step where, where, where I would might speak well of God, but God didn't just speak well of us. He did good towards us. Now, really important here, if you look at it, it's in the past tense. Let that soak in for a minute. It isn't that God is presently blessing us. It isn't that God has begun something and is now carrying it through. It's saying that God has already blessed us. In a minute, we're gonna see that that happened before the foundations of the earth. Now let that choke in your mind for a minute. That God was already working even before the foundations of time. That he would bless us in Christ. 
in Christ. In fact, it's interesting that it says, then with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, every spiritual blessing, every capacity that is necessary to, to know your God, to walk with your God, to have a viable, active, vibrant relationship with your God, he's made it possible. So if I'm not having one, what does that mean? Does that mean God's moved? Does that mean God's done something? Does that mean God's gone off into the field? You have to understand that God has already blessed you with every spiritual blessing, with the capacity in the sphere of a relationship, a spiritual relationship with God. And it says in the heavenly places, that, that phrase there is only found in the book of Ephesians. I think it's five times in the book of Ephesians. And it literally has this kind of idea or this tension of this idea of that which is spiritual happening now in our lives. It's, it's the picture of, of whereby that it's more than just the material, it's spiritual. It's not temporal, but it's eternal. It's something that God has given us and blessed us that we in a spiritual life would begin to experience some of these things that we already have in Christ Jesus now. It's one of the things I think we've started doing in the church today. We're always looking off for that day when Jesus comes. How many of you always said, boy, I really wish he would come and I wish it would be today so I don't have to pay that big bill due tomorrow, right? That's how we usually do that, right? Or do we, do we in all of the honesty of our hearts say, I wish Jesus would come today just so I'm done with this body of sin, so I'm just done with the pressures of this world, that I may know God and I may know him face to face, that I may know him on all of his power and all of his grace, and I don't have the deception of this world that leads me astray. I wish Jesus would come today. You see the difference? The reality is, though, that it's ours now. It's ours now to know him and to walk with him and to know the blessedness of him. To understand the comfort of God and the joy of God and the peace of God. It's ours now. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. With everything in the high, in the high places. It's this idea that when we walk with God, we begin in that capacity of that spiritual capacity of walking with him. We begin to know him and we begin to know him deeply and intimately. This is why it's a fallacy it's a fallacy to believe when we look at our lives and we start having bad things happen. Oh, this happened and where someone passed away or I lost my job or you know, this, I got bankrupt or all these things start happening and we start going, where's God? Where's God? And we start evaluating him on the temporal and we start evaluating him on the material and we start evaluating him on our experiences and how our job is going and how we're enjoying life or not enjoying life. How all those things, when we begin to evaluate him like that, we lose sight of what God has intended. Because where he's blessed us is in the spiritual and the blessings of the heavenly places that we would walk in him and know him. In a minute he's going to talk about that we might have an idea of his plans in eternity even now. That God has done this that we might know. We need to be a people that understand that we've been blessed by God. And that that blessing is what drives our life. Not how much God feeds me or how much God gives me or how much God allows me to possess or how much God has allowed me authority in this world or accomplishment in this world, but because God has simply blessed me with every spiritual blessing. 
That is our motivation in life. That becomes our identity, dear people of God. So when the, when the things of the world begin to crumble around us, when the pandemics hit, we are not thrown from side to side because we are a people resting in an almighty God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We are not a people that are giving in to all of the fears and the cares and the triumphs of the world or the defeats of the world, but we are a people that rest and settle in the person of Jesus Christ. In Christ is our identity. And dear people of God, until you understand that, your life is going to be like this. I'm not going to say there wasn't times. I mean, Jesus wept. I saw, I read it in the scriptures. He grew hungry. He dealt with some of those things of life, but he never left sight of what he heard the Father say, he said. What he saw the Father do, he did. And he became the first fruits that we might follow after him, that we would be a people. See, all this is only possible because of Christ. Without Christ, it's impossible. Without Jesus, you're not able to accomplish any of these things. It's in Christ that this, all of this becomes important and we appropriate it by our life, by our faith in life. That's how it becomes about. Remember Joshua? Remember him? And Joshua won? And God already said, hey, Joshua, there's the land. It's yours. Go and take it, right? Joshua didn't have to every day get up and go, God, will you give me this little piece of land and then give me this little piece of land and then give me, it's already been given to him. What did Joshua have to do? By faith, go and take it. So it is true for us. God has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It isn't that, oh God, will you give me this or give me that or help me conquer this or help me conquer that. It's by faith stepping out in faith and believing that God has already done those things in Christ Jesus for us. That's an amen, guys. I don't know. Maybe you're sleeping or something. <laughs> we must be a people who live by faith. When I was in the restaurant business, I would always, my favorite thing to do was to find employees or crew members who are doing an excellent job and, and promote them into management. They always turned out to be the better managers. They always turned out to be, you know, great at it. But there was always one caveat with every single one of them is that when they became a, went from being a crew person to a manager, I always had this conversation with them. I'd set them down and say, look, when you walk in the door on Monday and you're the manager, it's different. You're the manager. You're responsible. And I would go through all the responsibilities and you are the one that is in charge of that. Now look, here's what's gonna happen with your crew because you've been friends with some of your crew. They're gonna see you walking in. They're gonna see you still being a crew person, not a manager. And I said, the difference will be is how you see yourself. Do you see yourself as a crew person or do you see yourself as a manager? And when you walk in and you see yourself as a manager, you will do a great job. But if you walk in and you allow yourself to be a crew person, you won't make it as a manager. And it's true for us spiritually. How do you see yourself in Christ? Do you just add God to your life? I mean, I mean, some of you are probably struggling with this. You're starting, you might even be trying to figure out how God fits in your life and how God is working out in your life. Maybe you're struggling at work and maybe you're struggling in, in your home. Maybe you're struggling with the, the things that are going on in your world and you're wondering where God is in the middle of this. Please know he is there. He's already made you. Just like when that person walked in on Monday, they were a manager. Whether they saw it or not, they were a manager. 
And you, as a child of God, when you walk out these doors and you walk into this world and the world tells you to pursue personal truth or the world tells you to pursue your own self or the world tells you to pursue these things, you have to stop and you have to say, no, I am a child of God, blessed in Jesus Christ, and I live by faith in Christ. Thank you. I was just about to go. Where's that one at? Man. I hope some of the folks online are awake, are awake and at least coming through with the amens. This is so crucial for us, dear people of God. It's why we fail. And we are going to fail. We're, we're, God's not, we're not perfect, but this is the battle every day. This is the battle I fight moment by moment. There are many times in a day where I'm, I'm just like, God, help my unbelief. Let me believe. Let me trust you in this. Please come in and change who I am. Make me more like your son. And instead of going, God, why are you letting this happen? We, we've got to walk by faith. In fact, he goes on, and, or else I'll just never get through this passage today. Verse four, it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now I want to stop there. This is one of those fun passages, right? We just opened a can of worms and they're crawling all over the place, all the different theology, all right? I understand that. That word chosen often refers to the elect of God. It's where we talk about the sovereignty of God whereby he calls out people to believe. That would be one aspect of election or being predestined and all those kinds of terms, right? When you look in the scriptures, you see those kinds of terms where God, before time, God God is outside of time and the way that he works and the way he does things is so different than us. And sometimes we try to bring him in and fit him into our world. And so when we talk about that, I, I'm one of those that believes strongly in the sovereignty of God. If you've heard me preach, you've heard me talk about the sovereignty of God over and over. You've heard me say the day my walk with God changed is when I settled the issue of his sovereignty in my life. That he's the king, I'm the servant. Changes everything. And then I look at the sovereignty of God and how he works. Some people would look at this passage and they would say it's referring to the elect, that Jesus is the elect, and that when you believe in Jesus, therefore you become elect. Well, there's some really God, men of God who really love, who love God, who really hold to that view. I don't, but that's another view. And then there's others who would say, just as this word here, chosen, is used in the Old Testament, whereby God chose Israel and called them out to be a light to other nations. So now in this chapter, they would say that this is a corporate calling, whereby God is corporately calling the church out to be a light in this world. And that would be an, another possible view. Uh, I remember in college reading J.I. Packer. Some of you may know him. Uh, he's an old-time theologian. And J.I. Packer basically said this. He said, he said, look, he said, when I come to a passage and it has to do with the, the election or the predestination of God, he says, I preach that. And when it comes to the will of man, he says, I preach that. I don't know how they go together. And so he just preached them both whenever he came to them. And so how do, you, how do you begin to approach those things? Well, I don't have time to be able to, to, be able to dev in that in this short amount of time. I will say this. I, I'm a strong believer in the sovereignty of God and what God does. And I believe always that God moved and man responds. How does man respond? I don't know. If you, if you ever listen to my testimony, I don't, I do not know how I stand, how I got to where I'm standing before you today in the work of God in my life. It, it blows me away when I think about all of my friends, everybody I knew, nobody was, was Christians and just how God 
how God worked in my heart and brought me to himself. So I believe that God moves, man responds. There are others that would say man moves and then God responds to man. And I struggle with some of the theological implications of that. But that's just who I am. And I would love to talk to you. Here's something you need to keep in mind, though. Here's something you need to keep in mind. Number one, you need to study God's word. To know it, you need to study his word. You need to first, though, remove your own preconceived ideas before you study. I will tell you that when I started this study many years ago, I have moved back and forth at times in my life before I really had to deal with my own heart and what I wanted to be determined rather than what God's word said. So you have to study. You have to study. Number two, don't get mad over it. Don't don't fight over it. I have learned a long time ago, if I'm talking to someone, I see them get a little tense over this subject, I quit talking about it. It's not worth it, right? God, if God chose, God chose. If God determined, if God lays out the universe in the pond of his hand, who am I to tell him to do something different, right? I mean, we have to look at that, but what does God's word say? In this context, when you look at it, it becomes very clear That regardless of your view, God was doing something before time in who we are in Christ Jesus. It's a picture of God's love that never began being expressed in a love that will never end. Think about that. That God in eternity and God eternity past and future and present, his love towards us was never ending. That he was moving and he was blessing and he was doing these things. It it amazes me that he chose us and that he was thinking about us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. That word holy literally has the idea to be set apart for God. I believe it has the idea not only to be set apart for God, that we reflect him. So we would be blameless as well. It was used of a, of a, of a sheep who would be brought to, to sacrifice, that it had no blemishes, and that we would be holy and blameless Think about this, that God, regardless of your view on on election or chosen or predestination, whatever those terms, regardless of your view, God's purpose for you was not to be privileged. God's purpose for you was to be holy and blameless, just as he created humanity in the garden before sin entered the world. Except now he did it through his son and we would be a little higher than the angels. It's an amazing idea of what God has done for us. That his, 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 his goal, his determination for us is that we, would be, that we would be holy and that we would be adopted children. That's what he goes on to say in love. He predestined us for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. That God's intent for us is that we would be children of his. It literally means to be marked out beforehand. And the emphasis isn't on who, the emphasis is on what. That God's desire for us is that we would be his children. Some of you haven't been adopted, I have. And it's a remarkable love that someone would take someone that isn't their children and call them their own and give them their name and give them full rights as a child. And that when they go out into public and someone says, is this your son? My dad every time said, yes, he is. And he never once said I I was his stepson. He never once said anything about me being adopted in. And even when they said, you know, he kind of looks like you, and I didn't look anything like my dad. (laughs) And they would say, he kind of looks like you. My dad goes, well, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) He brought me in and made me his son. And God does the same thing. 
does the same for us. He brought us into his family. He made our identity not about what the world is saying. He made our identity about his family. He calls us co-heirs with Christ Jesus, his only son, his only begotten son. Because of what Jesus did for us, he brings us into his family. And he says, you know what? Your identity now is you're you're my children. We are his people. We belong to God. Our identity is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. We, by his people, need to walk in faith, believing that. We got to quit fighting with the world, and we need to start living the gospel in the world. We need to start being a people that live who we are in Jesus Christ. And he did this. Look what he says. He did this according to his purpose. In fact, that word has an idea of of pleasure. It's the idea that God did it by the gracious act, brought about this by his own pleasure, calling us his children. It's an expression of his being and who he is. My dad, I I was young, but I still remember going before the judge. And I remember going in and talking to the judge, and then my dad being brought in and going through this process. And there was this this whole aspect. My dad brought me into the family and I was no longer my, 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 my birth name, Lawrence. I was now a lingual and to this day I still am because he gave me everything there was within the, within the body. It was an expression of his love and his care even for me. And then he says, he goes on and he says, predestined us to adoption of sons through Christ Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, that that was his will, his purpose to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In other words, what moved him was his glorious grace, and he blessed us in the beloved. The beloved is Jesus. That God, when he refers to his son, Jesus Christ, and he calls him beloved, his deep love for him. And then the very next phrase says, in him, in the beloved, we become objects of God's love because of Christ. We're brought into the family. We're given this. It's not something we attain. You didn't attain it by how many times you walk through a door, or what you put in a plate, or how many hours you sacrifice for, for the church or for God. You earned it because of your faith in Christ. That's why in a minute, in verse 15, Paul says, for this reason, when I heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, because those things are given, they're not attained. It's who we are. It's not what we accomplish. He blessed us in the beloved, and our identity is in the beloved. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, in him we have redemption. The idea of redemption literally means to to deliver from. It was often used of of buying slaves out of slavery into freedom. It's that picture of, of being bought out of the slavery of sin. We were a people that were destined to condemnation because of iniquity, because of sin, and because of what Christ has done, he bought us out of that, and he set us free. In fact, it also says we have forgiveness, forgiveness of our trespasses. And that word trespass is a little different than the word sin. It literally means false steps or kind of a misguided step. I always like that illustration of of going hunting and the guys went across the fence and and there was a big old sign that said no trespassing. I went up to the fence and said, I'm not doing it, guys. I'm not going to do it. What did we do? We trespassed against the holiness of God. When sin entered in this world, it trespassed against his holiness. It separated humanity. It plunged them into a path of destruction, a path of, of slavery. 
and Jesus has set us free. And how did he do this? He did this with his own blood. In verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, is what Hebrews 9.22. God, God did not treat sin lightly. He didn't just go, oh, it's not a big deal. They're just being boys. I mean, not, I remember my dad used to, I'd get in trouble and my mom would be upset. My dad would go, they're just being, he's just being a boy. That's just a boy. God didn't treat, us, treat sin lightly. It trespassed something that was very essence to the being of who God is, that he's holy. And we trespass again. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. In fact, in chapter two of this same book, it says there that those who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Because of what he has done, what he has accomplished, he has brought us near. And look what it says. And he did this according to the riches of his grace. Now think about it for a minute. What is the riches of the grace of God? What are the riches? What is it? It's the sacrifice of his son. It's the shed blood of his son. The wealth of God's grace is in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. That, that that is where the wealth is. And look what he says in verse eight, which he lavished upon us. He drenched us with grace. You, 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 you think you got enough? He drenched you more. He drenches us in his grace. He lavishes on upon us his grace that we might walk after his son. That we might understand the redemption that we have and the forgiveness of sins that we have. And look what he says then. And he says, in all wisdom and insight, that God didn't just do this lightly, but in his own insight and his own wisdom. In verse 9, he says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. That he did this in the sense of making known the mystery of his will. That ability that we would begin to grasp what God is doing in the ages of, of time, before, after time. That we would begin to grasp those things that God is doing and understand how they look here and now. That's why I think it's a fallacy. If all you're waiting in your Christian life is for the coming of Jesus, you're missing out on some really good living that God has for you. That right now, right here, there are plans in which God has and purposes which he has for your life and for my life. That we would be involved in a world where we're living out who we are in Christ. That we would be living out the gospel in our lives that we would exemplify who Christ is in this world. And that mystery there is something that was previously hidden, which, which now God has made, made known. And it's interesting that it's a picture of this mystery in which he is revealed, is that it's God's good pleasure and purpose in Christ to bring all things in heaven and earth under the head, his headship in the consummation of time. Look at this, what he says then in verse, as he goes on in verse uh, 10, or verse nine, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all, unite all things in Christ, in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You see all, everything that's broken, God has a plan to fix all those broken things. You're struggling in your life, there's things broken in your life, God has a plan to bring all those things under the headship of Christ, to fix them, to bring it back to what they were intended for. He is the creator, not only created us and knew his purpose and his plans for us, but he is the creator, knows how to bring those things back in Christ Jesus. Our identity is in Christ. Goes on and he says, 
beginning in verse 11, he talks about our inheritance and our identity. He says, in him, we have obtained an inheritance. Doesn't that, doesn't that get you excited? I remember when I came to Christ, I got so excited when it said that I was a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I mean, I mean, that blew me away. I just thought, wow, God makes us part of an, of an inheritance. He gives us a share with his son. In him we have an inheritance, having, be pre, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel of his will, to the counsel of his will. That this is something that God is, in fact, that word predestined, in some translations will use the word chosen. It's different than the one in verse 4. It's the idea to cast a lot or to appoint or to attain by lot. In the context, it's the idea of chosen or destined, that God has determined that you would have inheritance in his family. Think about that. You have been brought into his family and you've been given the full rights as a child of God. And you've been given an inheritance that he has determined. There's so much in this. It drives me crazy that I'm running through it. But I want you to understand the true identity you have in Christ. In fact, he goes, he goes on. In him we have attained inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of, his, of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be so to the praise of his glory. If you noticed in verse 11, he changed. He went, he started, he, he'd been using us, and now he's starting to use we. And then in verse 13, he starts using you. And it's here in this verse 12, 11 and 12, I think he's referring to the Jews. He's reminding them of the inheritance that they have. And we too have that inheritance. And he's saying that they who first believed, talking about the Jewish people, it was the Jewish people that the gospel came to first. And they believed, and they have, they have much as well. Verse 13, he goes on, he says, in him, again, in Christ, you also, I think here he's turning to the Gentiles. He says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, believed in what? Believed in Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That word, ideal of seal, means to indicates the security, a certification of, of genuineness. It's, it's, it's the identification that you belong to God that you belong to him. It's that stamp of approval. It guarantees the believer's inheritance in Christ Jesus. It's, it's the Holy Spirit giving us a little bit of what life is going to be like here and now. I've heard you guys, many of you have said to me, you talk about how God empowered you through something, where God gave you strength, or God gave you comfort, and you knew it was beyond yourself. That's just a taste. It's just a taste of what we will have and we began to experience that as we live by faith along the way. In fact, in the last part of verse 14, um, he says, who, who, is, who is the guarantee? He's the one that ensures and makes this inheritance possible that we know that will happen. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of glory? You would read through all that and you go, wait a second, you mean I haven't acquired it? Well, you haven't received completed. I still got this body of sin. There's going to come a day when this body of sin will be no more. There will be a day when sin will not rule in my life. It's really the release from the presence of sin. It's amazing what all God has done for us. What God has done for us. And when we understand that Jesus is our identity, it begins to shape and change our lives. And the way that we live our lives and if we would step out in faith, it really changes our perspective of life. It changes the way that we, that we walk in this world. 
We, we go from those times of where we're saying, God, deliver me from this. Where God, save me from this. Where God, help me to escape from this. And we start praying, God, just meet me in this. Show yourself and show me how you are planning to work. To God, give me strength. I, I'm not asking you to take it away, God. I'm just asking you to give me strength through this. God, help me make it through that. Give me the strength. Help me, give me, help me with my unbelief. Even to the point where we say, God, make me more like your son in the middle of this. Right? I mean, that's, that's who we are in Christ. Now, I want to close reading this next passage. All right? When Paul says in verse 15, he says, for this reason, what reason are you talking about? Everything he just said, verses 3 through 14. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. He's talking to the believers here in Ephesus. And you got to understand the rest of this letter is built on these, first, these verses we just kind of covered today. He goes on, he says in verse 15, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now he's going to start telling them what he's praying about. That, God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's praying that you would have wisdom and that God would enlighten you in the knowledge of his son. Do you pray that? I pray that for you, that God would enlighten you, open up his word to you. Now look what he says. He goes on, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, now, this is the things he's asking specifically, that you may know. And he's going to say there's three things that he wants them to know. That you may know, first, what is the hope to which he has called you. Paul is saying, I'm praying that you understand the hope of your calling in which God has called you to. He just talked about it in these verses we looked at today. And then he goes on, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That you would understand your inheritance, what God has given to you. Now listen to this. I get really excited here. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working. Now listen. You want to know how great the power is? He's going to tell you. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the right hand, at his right hand and in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here's the picture. He follows saying, man, I, I want you to understand and know the hope of your calling. I want you to understand and know the riches of your inheritance. But he, then he says, I want you to understand the immeasurable power of God that's at work in you. That same power that took Christ and raised him from the grave and lifted him up and set him in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father and put all things under his feet. That same power that was able to do that works in you. And if it's not, it's because of your faith. It's because we're not understanding our identity in Christ. We're not believing what God has done for us. We're not walking out and stepping into that faith. Now look, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about the idea of how we live each day resting in who Christ is and what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father God, <clears throat>
The richness of this passage is beyond my understanding in so many ways, Father. There's so much here. But Father, I pray this morning you gave your people a touch, just a touch of what you've done for them in Christ Jesus, the identity that they have in, in your son, what, you, what you've done, Father, before the, before the foundation of the earth, that Father, you were already blessing us in Christ. You are already establishing us that we might be holy and we might be blameless. You are already putting us in a place, Father, where we can live in this world because we've been redeemed, because of the forgiveness of our sins. And you did this, Father, by drenching us, by lavishing your grace upon us. And that, dear God, you've given us an inheritance that is incorruptible. You've given us an inheritance that cannot be lost. You've given us an inheritance that is secured, sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who dwells in us that might give us victory each and every day. Father, I know, I know that this walk in this world, Father, as you know, is not always easy. Help our unbelief, God. Help us to grow in our faith. Make us more and more like your son. Help us to identify in your son and who he is. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.